following is a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. Join us now as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where we'll be today in verses 2 through 5. And uh, please stand with me as I read God's Word. As Charles Spurgeon used to walk up the steps to preach Uh, He would say with every step, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I do the same thing. Uh, We basically trusting God to do what mere man cannot do. And today we're going to behold our God. We're going to consider the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that we would believe in the Holy Spirit and that we would delight in who he is and what he does. So hear the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 through 5. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence with us. I pray, Lord, that you'd have your way in our hearts today by your spirit, through your word, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat, please. You know, many people... Uh, will believe almost anything with little to no proof. Case in point, many people took the NASA broomstick challenge this past week on 21020. They heard that a, a broomstick would stand alone on that day due to the gravitational pull. Only problem is that same challenge was put out in 2012 as well, uh, saying that on that day a broomstick would stand up because uh, the, the planets were aligned. The truth is this, it's simple physics, but a broom has a low center of gravity, and if you get the bristles to act like a tripod, it will stand up on its own any day of the year. You can try it. But people will believe almost anything, and we're like that about the Holy Spirit sometimes. We hear what someone says, we see some YouTube video, we read some book, and we think, well, this is what the Holy Spirit's like, and we forget to consult the scriptures. And so we think that we must do something magical. Maybe uh, say a sentence a certain way, use certain words, or balance something just right to get the Spirit of God to do what we want Him to do. And there's a lot of confusion and unsound teaching as a result, and I mean, some people treat the Holy Spirit like Jesus' crazy uncle that comes on in and just wreaks havoc on everyone's preconceived ideas. Now, God does explode many of our preconceived ideas, but we must never put him in a box. Uh, We must be accurate according to the word of God and what it says, not people's imaginations, not people's preset ideas. There are all sorts of ideas that are getting perpetuated by people and attributed to the Spirit of God, and there will be people that will even say, look, um, I am very open to the Holy Spirit. 
Others will say, well, that person is closed to the Holy Spirit, and there'll be judgment flying in both directions. And because we look at the outward appearance, we judge by outward appearance, but God sees the heart. God knows. Don't judge. He's the judge. And when there is judgment and fear and a lack of self-control when it comes to things like this, it's not from God. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Sound mind, self-control. And so as you get better acquainted with God, and I hope you get better acquainted with God today, even as we get into the word today, remember God is one being in three co-equal, co-eternal persons, and as you get to know God better, be humble. Be humble. As you grow and you learn, be patient with yourself, but also be patient with other people who might not use all the words that you think are the right words to use. We need to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We shouldn't control each other. We shouldn't allow ourselves to be controlled by anyone except God. And so we need to stay away from name-calling or accusing and saying, you're, you're too open to the Spirit or you believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And those kind of things just have no place amongst the loving body of Christ. We just need to relax and let God be God. What does he say in his word? Admit we don't know everything and just stick closely to what the word says. But to do that, we've got to wade through some murky mud, really, as it pertains uh, to false ideas about the Holy Spirit if we want to be biblically accurate. We, we ought not to twist the Bible. We need to uh, handle it accurately in context, uh, look for authorial intent. What does the Bible actually teach? That's what we want to do today. Now, we're in week four of five weeks on the Trinity, on uh, the idea of beholding our God and, and how awesome and majestic he is. And we first looked in Isaiah 6 and just how God is so amazingly holy and it causes us to worship him and it also humbles us to serve his purposes. And then we looked into 1 Thessalonians, the same passage we've been in several weeks. We saw God the Father first, a loving choosing present father who causes his children to, to thrive in Christ. This is what we were seeing as Paul is uh, writing this heartfelt letter to the Thessalonian Christians. This is what we see. And last week we looked at God the Son, who is this powerful, perfect, promised, and very personal Savior that gives his people faith and love and hope and joy, even joy in the midst of horrendous circumstances, joy that overrides every circumstance. But today we're looking at the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at who he is and what he does and how we are to respond to him. So first we'll look at who he is and then what he does. I'm going to give you 10 uh, things that the Holy Spirit does, and then in our response I'm going to give you 10, but I'm going to tell you right now we're not going to get to all 10. I got to three first hour. So we'll just save that for next week when we talk about the lighting in the Trinity, okay? So just don't get upset. Just know that we're going to do 10 things God, uh, the Holy Spirit does, but also then three responses for today, okay? Just that's what we're going to do today. But look at 1 Thessalonians 1.5 with me, that one verse, 1.5. It says, our gospel came to you not only in word, okay? So they weren't just saying words. They were, they were trusting God to do what he does. And it says that it came with power and in the Holy Spirit. 
and with full conviction. The power of God was evident as they were preaching the gospel and it was in the Holy Spirit. Now when they read those words, they knew what he was talking about. We actually need that to be explained to us. What does that mean, in the Holy Spirit? What does that mean that the gospel came in the Holy Spirit? They had the Old Testament and what it said about the Holy Spirit. They had uh, the things that they had heard and seen that hadn't been recorded yet in the book of Acts, but they had seen what had been going on. 1 Thessalonians was written in like AD 51, one of the first letters that Paul wrote. So they wouldn't have had a lot of, of scripture written yet on the Holy Spirit, but they would have known what Paul was talking about when he said, our gospel came in the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. And Paul is greeting them and he's, he's saying to them, look, you, your faith is exemplary. I commend you. Your ministry is exemplary. I commend you. And it's, it's because of the Holy Spirit. He was convinced that God had saved them. He was convinced that they were uh, responding well to the gospel. They had been changed. The gospel had spread like wildfire. They received the word of God as God's message, not human wisdom. Paul is testifying to their conduct and his as well. He's been falsely accused of all sorts of uh, wrong motives. And so he's saying, look, God knows. And so do you. you. You've seen how we've been among you. And what, what we see coming out here, really in, in the personal letter that he is writing to believers, that the Holy Spirit changes your life. The Holy Spirit changes your life by the gospel, and it empowers you to live in Christ-honoring ways. The Holy Spirit changes your life by the gospel and empowers you to live in Christ-honoring ways through the word of God. Through the word of God, and what happens is then you joyfully bless others and you glorify God. You see joy. Look at verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, with joy coming from the Holy Spirit, joy given by the Holy Spirit. Think about some of the bad things that have happened in your life since you become a believer, and, and think about moments that you actually could experience true joy in the middle of those things even as your heart was getting ripped apart. And it, it sounds counterintuitive because it is. You, you receive the word of God in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit empowers you to love Christ and find your joy in him and live a life pleasing to God. When they saw those words in the Holy Spirit and they heard that what was already true about them, it was being described about them, that they had the joy of the Holy Spirit. They knew who the Holy Spirit was. Uh, let's see who the Holy Spirit is. Who do they understand him to be, and who are we to understand him to be? And the first thing you need to see, and this is in your notes there, is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Numerous passages in the Bible relating to the deity of the Spirit. I'm going to take you to one that's a unique one. It's Acts chapter 5. It's that scene with Ananias and Sapphira. And they catch that plan to, uh, to kind of uh, hold back some of the money that they said they were giving the whole thing and all that. And, and what it says in Acts 5, 3 and 4 is that it says you lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 4 it says you lied to God because the Holy Spirit is God. To lie to the Spirit of God is to lie to God himself. In Acts 28, we read that the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah the prophet. 
In 2 Peter 1, verse 21, we read that no prophecy was an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And then you see in the Gospels, you see uh, in Mark 13, the spirit of your father. You see in Matthew 10, the Holy Spirit uh, equated to being the spirit of the father. You see the phrase, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the father, all the same spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. The spirit is God and as God then he gives life. You go back to the very beginning of the Bible. In the second verse of the Bible, what is the Holy Spirit doing? Hovering over the surface of the waters, Genesis 1-2. The Holy Spirit gives life and we know that the Holy Spirit gives new life. Not just to believers, you know, it says that if you're a believer, you are a new creation in Christ. Old things passed away, behold, new things have come. But it also tells us that the Spirit gave life to Jesus in the tomb. Romans 8.11 says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So we don't have life in and of ourselves. We depend entirely on the spirit of God. Back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they turned away from God and they chose death. What happens as a result? Every person is born spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, 1. Our hearts are turned away from the Lord. And what is happening? We desire and love other things more than God. In fact, We don't love him who is the source of our life. And and we don't want him, so we're never going to choose him. This is why Martin Luther wrote that the first thing belief in the Spirit means is that by my own reason or strength, I cannot believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. The Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel. The Spirit of God gives new life. Birth into new life by giving you a new heart. Ezekiel 36, John chapter 3. The tool that he uses, the word of God. 1 Peter 1, uh, James chapter 1, the the, the word that that causes us to be born again. He opens blind eyes to see uh, who the Lord truly is, to see the beauty of Jesus. So when you come to faith in Christ, you hear the gospel message. You know that you've sinned. You know that Jesus paid the penalty in your place for your sins. God opens your blind eyes and you behold the beauty of Christ in the gospel. And and your heart is captured by that. William Tyndale, the first one who translated the Bible into English, uh, grew up thinking that Christianity was all external. So you gotta say the right thing, you gotta do the right thing. Some of you may think that. But he realized after reading the Bible that every sinful thing comes out of your heart. And that the the Spirit's first work is to free your heart so that you would have a desire for Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God. By the way, you you can't assume who the Holy Spirit is. Some of you come in with assumptions, right? The Holy Spirit's this, that. You have to first think, the Holy Spirit is God. We don't want to make God into who we desire him to be. We want... uh, to uh, lean 100% on what God's word says and reveals about him. Because the second thing it reveals is the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. 
a person, not a force. Not a force or a power that you need to grab hold of so that you can use the power for whatever you think is best in your Christian life. That's how some people treat the Holy Spirit. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that. They believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, not a person. We believe what the Bible teaches. And by the way, God gets to define for us what he's like. We are misleading ourselves when we assign attributes to God uh, that comes from our limited understanding. You have to get things right according to scripture, and that should be priority one for a believer, is I want to get it right regarding God. My only field manual here is the perfect word of God. What the Bible tells us is the Holy Spirit is a powerful person living inside of believers, and not a force. He's able to do more than we could ask or think. In fact, Romans 8 tells us the Spirit helps our weaknesses. We don't know how to pray as we ought to, so the Spirit of God intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. No impersonal force can do that. God knows you perfectly. God knows you completely. You don't have fellowship with a force, but with a person, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. The Jehovah's Witnesses, when they were writing up their translation of the Bible, they wanted it to say what they wanted it to say, so they changed the phrase the Holy Spirit to Holy Spirit. They wanted to say that the Holy Spirit is an it, a force, a power, not a person. You see all through the Bible the personhood of the Holy Spirit. The first clear indication of the personhood of the Spirit is his use of the personal pronoun with regard to himself. Look at Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, verse 2. It says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It goes on in Acts, uh, another time in Acts 21, 11, the same type of thing. In Galatians 4, 6, it says that because believers are sons of God, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The Spirit, as it was noted earlier, intercedes on our behalf. The Spirit speaks. The, the Spirit knows things. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that the Spirit of God knows the things of God. Only persons know things. Wind doesn't know anything. Electricity doesn't know anything. The Spirit knows God's thoughts which are infinite because the Spirit is God, omniscient. You see the Spirit willing things, like deciding to do something. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Spirit gives gifts to believers as he wills, not as you choose, right? Oh, I want this gift or that gift. No, the Spirit gives to every believer the gifts he wants them to have as he wills, as he chooses. You see the Bible, in the Bible, the Father willing you see the Son willing to reveal the Father, and then the Spirit willing uh, to uh, have gifts given to the church. What you need to know as a believer is life in the Spirit is not abstract. It's not abstract, it's personal, highly personal. The Spirit gives himself to every believer to know, to love, to have fellowship with the Father and the Son. There was a debate in 1539 between a Roman Catholic cardinal and the reformer John Calvin. And the cardinal said, if God saves people by grace alone, people will have no reason to want holiness. 
If my holiness does not contribute to my getting saved, why bother? So he totally misunderstood the gospel and thought it was something other than being brought to know and love and want to please a beautifully holy God. So Calvin said, no, salvation is not about getting a thing called grace that you can just go and use as you decide. It is about freely receiving the Spirit of God and therefore the Father and the Son. It's personal. If you divorce God's personal nature from his actions, you get something that you can use to do what you want. That's the self-centered, you know, what do I get from it viewpoint. The Spirit is as real a person as Jesus Christ, and he comes to live in every believer. He is not a force you use. He is God living in you to use you for his good purposes. So the Spirit of God personally present in a believer, what, it, what it's telling you is something intensely personal, that you have been brought to enjoy the Spirit's intimate communion with the Father and the Son. Salvation is Trinitarian. It must be Trinitarian. It is because God is three persons that we can have this kind of communion. He gives his life to us. He comes to be with us. He stays with us. It's personal. God is not a delivery service for blessing like Amazon. You know, he doesn't, he's not Amazon. He is the blessing and then he showers his blessings. When you, when you see what the spirit of God does, you have to remember it's all personal. We're gonna go through 10 things that the spirit of God does. You've gotta remember it's personal, very personal. He is not a delivery service. It is God himself dwelling with his people and doing what he does as he blesses his people. But first and foremost, he blesses you with himself. Himself. So what does he do? When those Thessalonians read that the gospel came in the Holy Spirit, when they read that they knew that they had the joy of the Holy Spirit, what was going on? What, what, would, be, what would be explained later even in the scriptures? What does the Spirit do? Simply, the Holy Spirit helps you live the Christian life. It, he's the living Spirit. You live the life of knowing Christ through the Spirit of God and no other way. The Holy Spirit does specific things. The Bible makes those things clear, and I'm just gonna point out 10 of those distinct actions of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying a believer in Jesus Christ. Working in those who've, as Paul put it to Thessalonians, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his son, Jesus, who is coming back. So the first thing I'll point out is what the Holy Spirit does is indwells us, indwells believers. The Holy Spirit lives in believers. John 14, verses 15 through 17, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So you're going to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's being indwelt by God immediately and permanently. 
So a believer has all of God from the moment of conversion. Those who say that you need a second blessing are misunderstanding the Trinity. When you are regenerated, when you are converted to Christ, the Spirit works in your heart, turns you to Christ, gives you a desire to want to be saved by Jesus. And you, you know something. You know, you know your sins have ruined you. You know that you must run to Christ for refuge because you're under the wrath of God and your sins were punished on Christ. And then what happens is you have union with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So instantly and forever, the Holy Spirit lives in you as a believer. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says that you are God's temple, that God's Spirit lives in you, that God's temple is holy. Therefore, you are holy. You instantly were set apart by God for his purposes, and you are now progressively being sanctified, being made like Christ, being made holy. How does God do it? A holy God uses his holy word that points you to the holy one, Jesus Christ, and creates holy people. That's what God is doing. In justification, your status was changed, and in sanctification, your life is changed. There's no second blessing or need for a second blessing. You must have a continual filling and empowering and controlling of the Holy Spirit. That, that takes us yielding to God, but God is more than willing to empower us on the moment-by-moment basis. This is how it works. Think about it. The, the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin before you came to faith in Christ and, and, and of righteousness and of judgment, and you knew that you were hopeless without Christ and the word told you the truth about yourself, and you knew you were suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. You knew you were under a sentence of death. You knew that unless and until the Spirit of God awakened your conscience and turned your heart towards what is good and right and true, to believe in Jesus, you'd be totally lost. When you came to know Christ, your guilt was taken away. You have forgiveness in Christ. You have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity, because salvation is Trinitarian. The Father sent the Son, the Son secured salvation, and the Spirit works it out in your life. It's how God works it. The second thing the Spirit of God does, besides indwelling us, which is constant and eternal and immediate, is brings the Word of God to our remembrance. John 14, 26, Jesus said, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now think about it. Unbelievers don't understand the word of God, can't comprehend the word of God. Their, their minds are blinded, the Bible says, by Satan. They can't see the light of the knowledge of God, the gospel, the glory of God in Christ, and, and that's why we say, I once was blind and now I see. And what happens is, the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, takes your blind eyes and gives you new sight, spiritually speaking, enlightens your heart and illumines the word of God, gives you understanding so that you can actually grasp the word of God. Now think about it, when you, know, when you don't know a concept or a word, let's say you're reading a foreign language, you need translation, right? Even with our uh, Spanish-speaking congregation on Claro Sacristo, uh, we had a, uh, a uh, commissioning service last Sunday night and I, you know, I had took three years of high school Spanish way back 
And uh, now I've had like, you know, 40 years of Spanglish where I'm trying, but I'm not that good at it. And so I, I, uh, I throw an English phrase into my translator on my phone, and voila, there's a, a, a phrase. And I remember uh, saying it carefully, and everyone's like, all right, he's speaking our language. And then I said the rest in English. But I needed a translator. I needed a translator to help me. The Holy Spirit translate the word for you so you can understand the word. Uh, it's like, um, you know that, that drink that everybody likes, uh, LaCroix, that, that sparkling water thing, you know? I didn't like them at first, but they're, they're good, no, no sugar and what have you, but the one I like the best is called Pamplemousse. Pamplemousse, and I'm like, what is Pamplemousse? It doesn't say anything on the can about what it is. I looked it up, it's French for grapefruit. I'm like, who would have known? How to get it translated? John 16, 7 through 15, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, because they don't believe in me, because I go to the Father, because the rule of this world is judged, and then he said this, and I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now, and a lot of people will say as believers, I just walk around and God just gives me all these messages all day long. What was Jesus getting at? I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. He was gonna give us the New Testament. He says when the spirit of truth comes, he's gonna guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit of God uses the inspired word to transform believers. You must have heard it, read it, you know, ingested it into your soul. The Spirit does the work of God in your heart as God's, work, God's word does the work. Paul said this to the Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 13, you receive the word of God not, not at the word of man, but as God's word that does its work in you who believe. Paul said to the Corinthians, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. My preaching was not with wise and persuasive words. It was with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on man's wisdom, but on the power of God. The hammer of the word of God breaks hard hearts. The word of God comforts hearts. You notice that in verse five, in 1 Thessalonians one here, it says that the gospel came with deep conviction, full assurance. They're convinced that God had spoken. They're convinced that God was working. Isaiah 55 tells us God's word is not gonna return to him empty. It'll accomplish what he desires. It'll achieve the purpose for which he sent it. Third, the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. John 16, 14, Jesus said, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's going to take the word and declare it. 2 Corinthians three eighteen says, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are transformed. The Son makes the Father known. The Spirit makes the Son known. How does he do that? By breathing out the scriptures and applying the word of Christ in our hearts. 
God the Holy Spirit not only inspires the scripture, he is with every believer. He is living in every believer. The point of scripture is to make Christ known. The Son makes the Father known. The Spirit-breathed scriptures makes the Son known. And what happens? The Spirit takes that word and enlightens your heart to know the love of God. Opens your eyes to see the glory of Christ and the gospel. Jesus said that when the counselor comes that I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. You know Christ and through him the Father. That's the life that the Spirit of God gives every believer. Think about 2 Corinthians 3 referring to Moses' face shining from having been with the Lord. It's, it's beholding for a believer. It's beholding the glory of the Lord in the gospel that we are transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So in the word of God, you see the beauty of Christ in the gospel as the Spirit gives you understanding. I want you to hear this because I think it's very significant for us. It's very easy for us to want to be noticed and maybe put ourselves out there sometimes. The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, not you, not me. If there's something in your life that you are crediting to the Holy Spirit that puts the spotlight on you, it's not from God. Fourth, the Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts. Look at Romans 5.5. 5. Just quickly go there, Romans 5.5. 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts. The Spirit unites us to Christ. He takes what is Christ and makes it ours. So think about it. In the beloved Son, we, we are the, our beloved children of God. Um, you think about what the Holy Spirit does on a continual basis as he pours out God's love into your heart as a believer. His kindness leads you to repentance, where you confess your sins, knowing you're saved, but knowing you don't want to mess up your fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The love of God re replaces pessimism and negativity and judgment and criticism and hatred and control issues. It replaces unforgiveness with love. The love of God poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. Fifth, the Holy Spirit comforts you. Jesus called the Holy Spirit another helper. Uh, he's another helper besides Jesus. Think about what your sin does to you. It brings you misery and anxiety and doubt and cold-heartedness. Think about what Satan does. He accuses you. But what does the Spirit of God do? Assures you. Comforts you. Assures you of the Father's love. Assures you of the Son's perfect salvation. You have an identity. You have an identity in Christ. John Owen said that the work of the Spirit to the end of the world is to bring the promises of Christ to our minds and hearts to give us the comfort of them and joy in the sweetness of them. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it said that the, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. When there is conflict, when there is insecurity, 
It breeds weakness and division and grief. But the comfort of the Holy Spirit gives you inner strength. It gives you inner peace. It gives you inner joy. And that ought to spill out onto other people. Sixth, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, Romans 8, 16. That's assurance of belonging. But the Spirit of God reassures you over and over again because we need to be reassured over and over again. doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, where God just says over and over, you are mine, you are dearly loved, you, you need reassurance often. Uh, people are going to butter you up, people are going to flatter you, or people will condemn you or put you down, right? But the Holy Spirit actually tells you who you are in Christ. God's adopted child forever, loved by him, never to be revoked, never to be rejected. Your identity in Christ is secure. You're comforted by the Holy Spirit. Seventh, the Holy Spirit seals us. Seals us. That's an interesting term. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, I think of something being sealed. I think of putting it in a Ziploc container, right? Or you seal up an inner tube uh, that got a hole in it or something. That's not the idea here. The idea of sealing here is to put a stamp or a seal on something, like the king using a wax seal. So put the image of the seal on something sealed. So the image of God gets imprinted on your soul. It, it, it literally gets restored in you. So to have the stamp of the Holy Spirit as evidence in your soul that you have been accepted by God, you're sealed by the Spirit, you have been accepted it's been confirmed, it's been ratified in writing in the word of God, the word which forever is settled in heaven. It's irrevocable. We seal something with a wax seal and then change our minds. God changes your heart and seals you with an with a unchanging seal and you belong to him. The spirit of God seals you and assures your heart of God's promises toward you and his faithfulness. He keeps his promises. So sealing here means that God possesses you. He's, you're owned by him. You're kept safe. He has set his seal upon you. You are his own. You are kept safe. It's like putting a monogram or initials on something. God's seal is on you. You are marked as his special one. He has purchased possession. This is your identity in Christ. You are kept safe for the day of redemption. Wow. You are secure, whether you feel it or not. You're safe in Christ's hands, believer. His grip never loosens on you, never lets go. The Holy Spirit re restores the image of God in you, brings you into fellowship with himself, gives you boldness with him, fellowship with him. Uh, there are so many things in life that will make you feel insecure. Oftentimes, it's when you feel you're being controlled by someone else. The Holy Spirit fully secures you, fully secures you, and then sets you free to serve God's purposes. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Eighth, number eight, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Ephesians 1.13, you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of of our inheritance until we require possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
And it launches in, in verse 15, to a therefore, and it's beautiful Trinitarian uh, prayer there, but a believer is baptized, immersed, indwelt by the Spirit, sealed through God's power, and then there's a guarantee. The Spirit of God is the guarantee of our inheritance. I think that's the most encouraging thing. You bolster your confidence in Christ. Like you have part of what you are going to have. That's why we say that eternal life starts now, but it will go fuller and fuller out into eternity. We have received the Spirit of God through faith, Galatians 3.2 tells us. We have received the promised Spirit through faith. Ninth, the Holy Spirit anoints us. Now, this might be the toughest one to explain and and the one that might have the most uh, misunderstanding among some people, but anointing of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 says, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And it says he has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So you have anointing, seal, and guarantee all in that one uh, two-verse swing there. But he anointed us. Now, people talk about anointing from the Holy Spirit in ways that are outside of Scripture. Often we'll make the mistake of calling a teacher an anointed teacher. Okay? Uh, our anointed teacher is the Holy Spirit. And God uses teachers as an instrument, not the substance of the anointing. The anointing we have from the Spirit comes from the preaching and the teaching of the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God that is rightly handled and interpreted correctly in context. The Spirit anoints you as a believer with the word of God. 1 John 2.20 says you've been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. And verse 27, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The scriptures tell us you will know the teaching, whether it is from God. We have to realize we've been anointed by God through the word of God. And tenth, I'll just give you one more, and then we'll move on to a few things about our response. The last one, I've already mentioned, but it's the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, prays for us, according to God's will. This is so amazing. Uh, We are uh, to pray according to the Spirit. We are to pray at all times in the Spirit, in accordance with what the Spirit desires, which is spelled out in the Word of God. And you think about this, praying for other people is a privilege God has given us. In my Bible, I have uh, the whole a prayer list of people from Grace Church of Orange. I'm praying every week. It's on my phone as well. Isn't it wonderful when someone says, I'm praying for you? It's awesome when someone is praying for you. But what about this? The God of the universe is praying for you. Now that's awe-inspiring, isn't it? God of the universe is praying for you, and in him praying for us empowers all the other prayers. That's the only way I can pray for you. That's the only way you can pray for me is because the Holy Spirit is praying for us. The Holy Spirit indwells us and brings the word to our remembrance and glorifies the Son, pours God's love into our hearts, comforts us, bears witness with us, seals us, is the guarantee of our inheritance, anoints us, and intercedes for us. What should be our response? How should we live as a result? And I told you at the beginning, I'm only gonna give you a couple of them. I think three is what you're gonna get, okay? Uh, That's what first hour got, and I'm hoping I can get all three with you. How are we to relate to and respond to the Spirit of God? Again, verse five says, you know what kind of people we prove to be among you for your sakes. 
Spirit of God changed their lives, and they knew what kind. And it says you became, verse 6, imitators of us in the Lord, receiving the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit enables you to live a life of joy that's pleasing to God. So the first thing I'll mention in our response is worship. Worship. On the moment by moment, not just coming to a worship service, but when you worship the Holy Spirit, you worship the Father and the Son as well. It's impossible to worship one person of the Godhead and not worship the Trinity. The Son and the Holy Spirit are no less worshiped in our access to God than the Father himself. So when you worship one person of the Trinity, you're really worshiping all three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Try to wrap your minds around that. Don't. Just do it, okay? Just enjoy God. Secondly, pray. That's a response. When you pray to God the Father, you pray in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You pray to the Father. You come to the Father through Jesus Christ, and you're helped to do this by the Holy Spirit. But here's the mind-blowing thing. When you pray to one person of the Trinity, you're essentially praying to the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I like how Michael Reeves said it. Normal Christian prayer is even richer and juicier than we think. We join in with the fellowship as the Father, Son, and Spirit are already enjoying it. The Son who is already interceding for us with the Father brings us to be with him before the Father. And the Spirit helps us, supports us. We pray Abba in Jesus' name, empowered by the Spirit, delighting in God's beauty. If God were not triune, it would be better to keep quiet and hope to avoid being heard. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray, Lord, you, you, you live in me. Your will be done. Don't stress out about saying every single word exactly correct. Just pour out your heart to God. God is much more patient with you than I am. God is much more patient with me than you are. It's just, he's much more understanding than others are, right? He's God. The Spirit helps you with groanings too deep for words. And then one more, and then we'll, we'll end. You need to read the Word of God. You need to hear the Word of God. You need to listen to the Word of God. And the Word of God is the voice of God, according to Scripture, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The outcome, those are parallel, parallel verses. The outcome is the same in both. Uh, be filled with the spirit of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's a, a personal thing. The spirit filling is the result of the word richly dwelling. But there are people that will say things like, the Holy Spirit tells me what to do on a regular basis. Just tells me things out of the blue. Or walking by the Spirit means listening to the Spirit's voice to direct me every moment of the day with just words. Some people have even said, I don't need the Bible. The author talks to me directly. There's a caution there. We don't want to pick apart what everybody's saying, okay? When people say they're led by the Spirit's voice, they can mean different things. If, if you're listening and straining and yearning to hear the Spirit's voice tell you what to do every moment, apart from the Bible, it's going to set you up uh, for a potentially unbiblical response. That's not taught in the Bible. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit leads us. The Bible says we are to live by the Spirit. So some people use the term, I'm listening to the Spirit's voice. Wonderful, if they mean that they're filling up on the word of God, and they're delighting in who God is and what he says, 
and they seek to apply his revealed direction and wisdom in practical ways because God plants his desires in you when you delight in who he is and what he says. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. These desires given by the Spirit of God in result to our delight in him and his word, that's what the Spirit of God uses. So as Christians, we worship him in spirit and in truth. The Spirit leads us by changing our desires and actively submitting our thinking to God's thinking, letting him change our desires, yielding. When this is what you mean when you say you're listening to the Spirit's voice, you have a biblical perspective. The Holy Spirit brings to your remembrance the word of God that dwells in you richly. You, you love the word of God. You, you relish it. It is sweet to your soul. You have sweet fellowship with God. And it's not gonna look the same in every person's life it's about loving Jesus, loving his word, wanting to please God. God is not gonna parse in every word you use. He's not gonna pick it apart like we would do with each other. But just make sure you're not taking descriptive things in the Bible and making them prescriptive, thinking that it must be the same for every Christian. Descriptions are not prescriptions, but there are prescriptions. They're just not confusing. Let God be God. He has the final word. He is who he says he is. Stick to what the Bible says. And let me close with this. The other seven responses, we'll just pick those up next week. But if you're a believer today, your life is defined by the triune God. Uh, and I think uh, that what God says about us is far more significant and probably far more uh, in-depth than what we're comfortable with saying. I think the Spirit of God has, has far more action in our life than we even acknowledge or trust him for. We need to lean not on our own understanding. We need to acknowledge him in all of our ways. We need to do it with thankfulness because the best is yet to come. We who have been uh, made into glorious new creations are gonna be made into even more glorious creations because God is going to transform our earthly bodies to be like Christ's glorious resurrection body. And all that reminds me to do is look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. Let me close with Spurgeon's words. Here's what he wrote. It is ever the Spirit's work to turn your eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this. He is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking to Jesus. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. We thank you that we can look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you, Lord, for your indwelling spirit. May we, may we trust you to do in and through us everything you desire that would be yielded to you for your purposes. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace, please visit our website at graceorange.org.